Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. All right, welcome. It is Tuesday, February 11th on a soggy New York City day in Times Square. Welcome to the Muni Lowdown. And here are today's stories. First off, we got from Miami, Florida, DebtWire reporter Simone Barabo looks at Emerge Red Pack, California's only medical waste treatment facility, which shut down last year because the state continued to allow haulers to take medical waste out of the state even when there was a local option. From San Juan, Puerto Rico, DebtWire's Eva Lorenz discusses a new Puerto Rico general obligation bond deal with the Financial Oversight and Management Board, better known as the FOMB. And finally, DebtWire's head of municipal research, Greg Clark, breaks down the London Economic International Analysis regarding the future of the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority, better known as PREPA. So let's start off with Greg Clark. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks, Young. So before we begin, Greg, I heard uh, a very uh, significant milestone in your life recently. Yes, my 40th uh, anniversary of being in the Muni bond business. Congratulations. I started at Moody's in January of 80, and I've had a few jobs since then. Uh, sometimes I draw blank stares when I tell people where I've worked <laughs> because most of the places, I've, I'd say half the places I've worked don't exist anymore. Uh, to give you an example, any, anyone who uh, remembers Marine Midland Bank gets a prize. I do. There you go. <laughs> you get your prize after this. Okay. I, don't, I can't promise what it'll be. <laughs> All right, Greg. Well, always, we welcome your, not only your wit, but your wisdom. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Young. Okay. So let's talk about your recent analyst snapshot. The, uh, the snapshot was on uh, a study by, as you mentioned, London Economics International, and it was prepared on behalf of PREPA's, that's the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority. They're the Unsecured Creditors Committee, or UCC, a group that's opposed to the currently proposed bondholder settlement. The UCC is attempting to have the document accepted as evidence in opposition to the settlement, formerly known as PREPA's Restructuring Support Agreement, or RSA. On January 28th, a federal judge agreed to unseal most of this report, most of the LEI report, citing the need for court records to be made public whenever possible. So let's start off with two questions. Uh, one, who didn't want to release? And tell us more about who exactly London Economics International is. Uh, on the first question, the government of Puerto Rico and the Financial Oversight and Management Board, the FOMB, as you mentioned, uh, opposed release of the study. London Economics International, LEI, is a consulting firm that specializes in uh, energy, water, and infrastructure. The company had its origins in the early days of the United Kingdom's privatization of its electric, gas, and water utilities. But uh, despite its UK origins, their website right now only shows two offices, one in Boston and one in Toronto. Hmm. So what were LEI's findings? Well, before I answer that, not to take away LEI's thunder, I should mention that DebtWire has noted past deficiencies with PREPA's planning documents, including uh, its January 2018 fiscal plan and its February 2019 integrated resource plan. 
to be uh, more exact, we call the January 2018 document a fiscal plan in name only, as it contains no current year budget or forward-looking financial statements. That's the antithesis of a, fisc of a fiscal plan. But in general, LEI goes into a lot of detail about PREPA's planning documents. One of its bigger contributions is in describing PREPA's past management problems and how these problems are likely to, pers likely to persist. So can you give me an example? Sure. Uh, one example is PREPA's plans to bring new generation online. LEI notes that past attempts in this regard, quote, have been deferred and delayed on multiple occasions, end quote. Anyone who's followed PREPA for a while, I think it, I think we'll find it hard to argue with this. In addition, Puerto Rico's legislative mandate to produce 100% of its energy from renewable resources by 2050, given its inability to meet prior renewable goals, will be a particular challenge. There are other aspects of the uh, PREPA fiscal plans that LEI criticizes and that were approved by the FOMB. They raise fundamental questions regarding PREPA's demand forecasts, the effects of the planned transition charge on, on that demand, and several unrealistic assumptions regarding rate forecasts. The transition charge is, is the charge that will be used to pay debt service on restructuring bonds, which are an integral part of the uh, restructuring support agreement. LEI also opines that PREPA's fiscal plans are inadequate to judge whether future electric rates are economically feasible. The company foresees a possible scenario in which higher rates accelerate customer defections from PREPA, fixed costs as a result are borne by a shrinking customer base, and thefts of service and bad debts increase. This is classically referred to as a death spiral, and although LEI does not predict a death spiral for PREPA, LEI says that the utility is at risk for such an event. So, Greg, do you think the, the release of the port could have, have any effect on trading values of PREPA's bonds? Well, it doesn't appear to have, to have had a big effect so far, though it's hard to tell. On November 4th of last year, just after the report's publication date, the average price of PREPA bonds in the secondary market was 68, down from 75 a month earlier. Additional declines to 65 then occurred, but most recently the bonds were traded at 74. Having said all that, final approval of the RSA, the Restructuring Support Agreement, is not assured, and some additional price volatility may occur as a result. Puerto Rico's uh, legislative leaders said recently that they would decline to approve the transition charge should they be asked to do so. And even more recently, Governor Wanda Vazquez, who's previous, previously stated some ambivalence about any rate hikes, asked the FOMB and bondholders to renegotiate PREPA's RSA. Well, that's stuff that we're going to get in more detail with Ava. But Greg, thank you for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. Pleasure. And it's always great to have you on the show. Take care. Thank you. All right. And let's welcome to the show Ava Lorenz. Ava, how are you doing down there in San Juan? Well, everything is fine in here. As you probably are aware of, we uh, yesterday, I mean on Sunday, the uh, Financial Oversight and Management Board announced a new um, deal, plan support agreement for the central government that would restructure the central government's debt, which is about uh, uh, $35 billion. 
Right. So why don't you tell us some of the highlights of the debt settlement? Well, uh, as I mentioned, the new agreement reduces the uh, Commonwealth debt service and interest from the COFINA deal, which was the deal, the debt restructuring deal that uh, the FOMB, the Financial Oversight Board, reached uh, last year and was approved by the court in February of 2009. So with these two deals together, um, the island's debt, will be, debt service will, re, will be reduced by 56% to about $39.7 billion um, from about $90 billion. Uh, so, and of course, um, the deal also uh, reduces the general obligation debt by about 70% to about to $11 The good thing about this deal is that the board was able to get general obligation, some $8 billion in general obligation bonds into the deal. And also, as as more bondholders agree to join it, and also one highlight is that the board has said it will not pursue litigation to try to invalidate some $6 billion in general obligation bonds that were issued after 2012 because uh, this debt allegedly violated constitutional debt limits, so the board uh, was trying to invalidate it, but now it, it agreed to not to invalidate it, and, and these bondholders will, will actually uh, be paid All right. for a period of about 30 years, right. 20 years. Right. So mm-hmm. that that's my, that was my second question about why they agree not to invalidate. So then I've got another question for you. So let's talk about the differences between this agreement and the previous one. Well, first of all, uh, one of the highlights is that, of course, as I mentioned, the uh, Financial Oversight Board has agreed not to invalidate some $6 billion in debt that was previously there. The cut, it's a lot larger, is uh, $70 billion. And of course, the gov- the uh, financial oversight board will also cut the period in time that it will take the government to pay this debt. The previous agreement uh, called for a 30-period repayment plan, but this agreement cuts it to uh, 20 years. So if, uh, that, that 10-year period would actually save the government about $5 billion. Mm. in principle and interest. So, Oh, interesting. And of course, uh, I, I failed to mention that we have more bondholders that decided to join the agreement, and one of these is uh, Aurelius, which have several pending mitigation against the Financial Oversight Board. Well, since you brought it up uh, with Aurelius, what will happen with, with uh, the Aurelius litigation before the Supreme Court? Thanks for mentioning that as uh, Aurelius has uh, challenged the constitutionality of the uh, Financial Oversight and Management Board, that lawsuit is pending before the Supreme Court. It already, on October 15, uh, it already, the the Supreme Court held a hearing on this litigation. We asked, uh, Debwire, as a matter of fact, asked, FOMB Director Natalie Juresko, what will happen with this litigation now that Aurelius is part of this new deal? As she said, she did not know. Um, and this 
litigation is not expected to be uh, uh, altered in any way. But of course, other litigation is expected to be settled uh, slowly as as a as uh, as time goes by. The board does expect some of the litigation from some of the bondholders that have decided to join this deal to be uh, uh, dropped. Uh, also, there's a, a mediation team uh, report that recommended that some of the litigation related to this latest debt deal be stayed in order for this uh, debt deal to be able to move forward. So, so we do expect some of the litigation to be stayed or to be dropped at some point. Mm, okay, that's very interesting. Well, thanks for keeping us up to date on the geo settlement over the weekend. Seems like a lot of things happen on the, over the weekend in Puerto Rico for some reason. Yes, yes. Okay, so let's uh, move on and talk about uh, PREPA, the Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority. I want to talk about the uh, Integrated Resource Plan, which is uh, also known as the IRP. Can you tell us the contents of the uh, PREPA's IRP? Well, um, the Integrated Resource Plan is a document that contains the blueprint or a description on how PREPA plans to meet uh, Puerto Rico's energy demands in the long term, uh, PREPA being Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority. It is a document that was required by the Energy Bureau, which is the island's regulator. But the document must also comply with Act 17 of 2019, which is the island's energy public policy. Now, this law states that Puerto Rico must meet its energy uh, needs by relying entirely on renewables by the year 2050. And there's a 2025 milestone that calls for 40% renewable energy by that time. Um, now, the IRP submitted by PREPA also calls for the construction of certain uh, liquefied natural gas facilities in an effort to reduce energy rates. Um, but that decision has been questioned by environmentalists and other people that want to see uh, the island use uh, rely entirely on renewables. The, the matter is being, you know, discussing public hearings right now. So, so Ava, tell me, what is the relationship between the IRP you just mentioned and PREPA's debt? Well, um, PREPA, Puerto Rico Electric Power Authority, of course, is in bankruptcy to restructure about $9 billion debt. Uh, it has been in bankruptcy since 2017. And for PREPA to be able to make the changes to comply with the IRP, it must invest in new technology for which it does not have the money, of course. As a matter of fact, PREPA said, Ortiz said in these hearings that the power purchase and operating agreements that the IRP will require uh, to be implemented will be more costly precisely because the utility is in bankruptcy. That cost may be passed on to consumers at a time when, of course, the utility, as part of its debt restructuring, will be required to charge customers a transition charge that will be used to pay for its debt. PREPA, uh, which does not have money, of course, is relying on the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, to be able to provide some of the funding it needs to be able to move forward the utilities transformation. It is not clear, though, whether FEMA will provide this funding. All of this, of course, may result in, in high energy rates that could impact the economy 
and of course the island's ability to pay its debt in years to come. So this actually this IRP is a very important document. Interesting. Now, uh, recently, uh, there's been some hearings regarding the IRP. What's happened during those hearings? Well, as I mentioned, uh, environmental groups and renewal renewal companies are questioning the contents of the IRP uh, because of its. Um, they want it to be more reliant on renewables, and they don't want uh, they, the idea of having natural gas uh, providing some of the energy. Uh, it has been a component of contention. Um, and of course, many of these companies also see Puerto Rico as a laboratory for uh, an island that could rely entirely on renewables. Um, Jose Ortiz, uh, the PREPA's head, has uh, was clear also in that the role of PREPA will be changing in the future from energy supplier to facilitator, and that eventually all of the energy that the island will provide will come from uh, private hands and from renewables. So uh, it, that's basically uh, what has happened in, at these hearings. I see. All right, Abe, I got one last question for you. Uh, what's the latest that's been going on with PREPA's debt negotiation? Well, PREPA's restructuring support agreement, or, or RSA as it's been called, is still in limbo. Uh, the legislation to enable the deal has not been introduced yet. Uh, at this point, the last time I checked, uh, lawmakers are still saying that they will oppose any decision or any deal that uh, uh, results in in higher energy rates. They say that uh, publicly, privately, I know for a fact that the Financial Oversight Board, AFAF, have been, which is the fiscal agent for the government, uh, they have been trying to um, convince lawmakers to move this deal forward. But of course, they are trying to find ways in which they can avoid this rate hike. Uh, one of the alternatives that is being explored is the idea that People of a certain income level may not have to pay for this transition charge. That that will probably cause a lot of um, debate. Uh, but those are just some of the things that have been occurring um, under wraps. So so privately, they, they are trying to reach a consensus. All right, Eva. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for your coverage down in Puerto Rico. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. Okay. And finally, we have Simone Barabo in Miami, Florida. Simone, how are you doing down there? Doing very well today. Thank you. All right. Glad to have you on the show again. It's been, uh, let's let's see, you were on the show last time. You, you're you like, you know, hitting it out there, Simone. So I'm a regular. I'm a regular. I guess yeah. you are. <laughs> All right. So, but you had a very interesting story about a medical waste facility. It's called um, Emerge Red Pack, California's only medical waste treatment facility. And what is going on there? So not much. It's closed and it's been closed for a few months now, right? Um, it was really an almost dead on arrival project. It opened in March 2018 and it closed last summer. So it survived for a little over a year, but it got something like 5% of the medical waste that it thought it was going to. And just to back up a little bit, what we're talking about here is what it sounds like. It's medical waste. So mm -hmm. it's blood, it's needles, it's pathogens, it's ooh, whatever ooh. you ooze or they extract from you when you go to the hospital or a lab or a doctor's office. 
And it's not only this stuff, but it includes this. So it can include other things that, that aren't necessarily pathogenic, but it can be biohazardous and in some cases, even low-level radioactive. So Simone, if California doesn't have a medical waste treatment facility, since you said it's closed, and where is this ooze and waste going? So out of state. And when it goes out of state under a 2018 sort of court decision, an appeals court ruled that the state's Department of Health was likely to lose, and then the state just kind of dropped it, California no longer has any say over what happens to its waste once it goes out of state. So whether it's incinerated, it's mandated under California law, or autoclaved, or just landfilled. So if you live in a state with lax regulations, not only can you be exposed to the chemotherapy byproducts of people living near you, but you may be importing it from California or elsewhere. And so Emerge Red Pack's technology was meant to be a fix. It's called Carbonizer. Wait, Carbonizer sounds like the Terminator. Right. And I, I don't know if that's an apt analogy or not. It, he kind of goes horribly, horribly wrong. Yes, yes. And <laughs> in this case, the technology aspect of it seemed to be going exactly right. It's It successfully transformed medical waste into low emissions, renewable energy. But few people sent their way. So in that way, I guess it is going horribly wrong. Hmm. So then that begs the question, why send it out of state if you have this in-state option? So it seems like this was an economic decision. Mm. It was cheaper for the haulers to go out of state, and so hospitals had them go out of state. Mm. But in order to do this, they needed to gather a significant chunk of waste. Right. And blood samples, tissues, needles, they don't add up like commercial or household waste does. So the state, which hadn't had a facility between 2001 and 2018 anyway, gives waivers for 45 to 90 day extensions, giving the haulers enough time to gather up enough waste to make it worth the trip out of state. So then why not stop granting these extensions? So they may not legally be allowed to. Before Emerge Red Pack opened, and this is in 2017, they, meaning the Department of Public Health, find a hauler because it had started transporting medical waste to facilities in Kentucky and Indiana that didn't dispose of the material in a way that would have been legal in California. And the case doesn't deal head on with the extensions, but it basically says that California was likely running afoul of the U.S. Constitution's Dormant Commerce Clause in finding the company. And part of that clause, a part of the Constitution, says you can't tell other states what to do. California can't tell Connecticut what to do. You know, you have federal laws, but states don't create laws for other states. And another part of that same clause says you can't favor in-state economic interest over out-of-state economic interest. So California could presumably stop granting the waivers, but they can't do it just to favor an in-state facility. So... Let's talk about the future of the facility if California can't direct medical waste there. Right. That's a really good question. You'd think they just have given up this facility at this point. But according to one person, they're keeping up their insurance and everything they need to reopen the facility. So hope springs eternal. And, you know, I was thinking of that immigration ruling, the Supreme Court immigration ruling from a couple years ago, when the, the court ruled that the Trump administration wasn't motivated by any Muslim animus when they banned a bunch of 
majority Muslim people from majority Muslim countries from coming. Mm. And the main thrust of that ruling was whatever Donald Trump said during his campaign, the Trump administration said they had other reasons to implement the ban after they implemented. So who's to say California wasn't stopping granting these waivers for some other reason, right? Couldn't couldn't California do the same thing and stop the waivers saying there was a public health reason, even if their real reason was to stop the stuff from getting disposed of out of state. But the facilities close, so that makes this kind of infinitely harder because in order to reopen it, you would need to raise working capital. And in order to get anyone to put more money into this project that everyone's lost money on, you'd probably need to change the policy first so that investors would know that the reopening wouldn't be in vain, right? That trash would actually, the waste would actually go to the facility. And so how could California say, we're going to change our policy as soon as we have an in-state facility that's open without making clear its intentions? And you know, that's assuming California even wants to do this. I, I have no idea whether or not they, they care if the trash is disposed of in-state or out-of-state. Hmm. Interesting. All right. So I got one final question that's a fairly important question, to, I'm sure, to our listeners. So if you're a bondholder, what happens to you? You don't get paid, uh, which is long and short of it. They're not getting paid. And a bondholder said that without any changes in regulations, eventually there will likely be a sale. So in cases like these, you can either sell for scrap, which the bondholder said would be about 10 cents on the dollar, or if it's an asset with a known value, 30 to 40 cents on the dollar. And this person thought they'd get somewhere in between on this one. So, you know, it's it's certainly not par. Not much at all. No, it's not. All right, Simone, thank you so much for your work. Very interesting article. Thank you to Ava on Puerto Rico, and thank you to Greg Clark for Analyst Snapshot. And also thank you to our producers, Christian Anthony, for making us sound good. But most of all, to our listeners out there who tune in week after week to The Meaning Lowdown. Hope you take care out there and have a good day. Thanks for listening to The Meaning Lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.